Hey, Real Blend listeners. On this week's show, we have an interview with Ed Solomon, the co-creator of the Bill and Ted franchise. We are talking Tenant with non-spoilers, and we do Octavia Spencer Blend. So make sure you listen in. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, Blenders, and welcome. Welcome to episode number 132 of Real Blend, a podcast that's apparently sponsored by Ready Player One. (laughs) My name is Sean O'Connell, the managing director here at Cinema Blend, and I am joined, as always, by my great friends, Jake Hamilton of Fox 32 in Chicago, who is wearing a Ready Player One t-shirt. Hi, Jake. This was just, it was genuinely a coincidence for people who are not watching at home, which you should. At this point, the YouTube videos, I think, are, are, I would argue, the premier way to ingest our podcast. But if you're not watching us... I randomly wore a Ready Player One t-shirt that I pulled out the back of my closet, and Kevin showed up randomly wearing a Ready Player One hat. Kevin McCarthy of Fox 5 in Washington, D.C. Hi, Kev. Good good afternoon, Sean. Sorry, sorry, I jumped the gun on that. (laughs) Hi, Jake, Gabe. No, but to to Sean, or to Jake's point, I I always like to give a little backstory, but like when when we get on to these calls, this Zoom call that we're on right now to record our interview, like we all pop up at different times depending on where we are in our day. And I guess, Jake, I, I opened my computer and logged in and then I stepped away to go upstairs and get out of my suit because we were all wearing suits for something we were supposed to be doing today. Um, and so I changed, come downstairs. I haven't seen Jake at all. I didn't even know Jake was on. And I, I threw this hat on only because <laughs> I was upstairs going, my hair's getting long. Maybe I should wear a hat today. That was the, that was, that was the only reason. That, and Sean, Sean has a, a, a great chapter in his book about coincidences. If oh, I, I can yeah. say that. And mm-hmm. I, I, I just feel like they happen for a reason. And I think I, um, I, I just find it very cool that Jake and I did that in a very and, random I mean, the crazy way. thing, Sean wearing Ready Player One underwear. It's true. Oh. I am. Yeah, like I ever wear There's just underwear. little Spielberg faces all over it. Uh, episode <laughs> highlights. Uh, we're going to discuss the DC trailers that were shown at DC Fandom. Uh, we have Tenant. Oh my gosh, folks. All three of us have seen Tenant. Uh, we will have Tenant spoiler-free reactions. You will be able to listen to this week's episode. What, Sean? If you oh, haven't please. seen Tenant yet. Say what again? Do what? Uh, And we have a guest. We have a guest. Ed Solomon uh, is the co-writer and also co-creator of the Bill and Ted franchise. He's written all three of the films up to this point. And with Bill and Ted Face the Music coming to uh, theaters and also on paid VOD, Ed Solomon swung by the Real Blend podcast for a conversation of all things Bill and Ted. What now? Do what? (laughs) Come again? (laughs) That made me laugh. laugh. Uh, Plugs. All right. Um, Real Blend. Uh, So we have not one, guys, but two. 
uh, YouTube channels that we would love for you to go over and subscribe to and turn on your notifications for. One of them is a channel that is dedicated fully to the visual element of the show, Real Blend. Uh, as Jake was saying, you get to see the t-shirts, you get to see the hats, you get to see all of our beautiful faces uh, in really funny thumbnails that Gabe picks out over the course of editing. We also have one called Real Blend Clips, where we're pulling out individual segments that you guys can share with everybody. So head on over to those uh, two YouTube channels and give us a follow, please. Uh, Gabe wants me to point out the fact that on the YouTube Clips one, we will have a lot of exclusive clips that don't make it into the show, but not... The premium episodes, the premium episodes are something special. Uh, they are for people who subscribe to our uh, premium subscription and you get a new show every Monday. That's different from the regular show. I know I'll wrap it up in a second, but Gabe, I'm saying this for a reason, because premium number five, which we are going to record right after this episode is bathroom blend. But why wasn't it premium number two? Ah, that's a good question. That, that's a really that's a missed opportunity. How did we let that slip by? Gabe? God, this show's gotten really weird. <laughs> it's gotten weird. Remember, remember when yeah. we used to just show up and do the show? I can no, promise. It's much bigger now. I can promise, because we're recording right after this and I have my picks. I can promise that not every pick, I don't know these guys' picks, but not every pick will be gross. Mine's well, my, not gross. My pick my, is classy. Mine is not gross. Mine is actually very emotional. Um, okay. Yes. Bathroom blend is going to get very emotional. I don't know that Kevin's is gross. <laughs> I, I don't know. I it, doesn't, always, it doesn't have to be see, in relation to a bodily function, Kevin. We're doing a half assed. No, no. Pun no. <laughs> it is a scene that takes place uh, in a bathroom. That it was you, all the. No, see, you, didn't, you did not reply to the text thread last week. Listen, well, I don't want to flush this idea down Jesus the toilet right off the bat. <laughs> I love how we're doing bathroom blend, but we're not really doing bathroom blend. No, the, 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 no, no, no. You, it is not bodily function blend. It is bathroom blend. It is a scene that takes place in a bathroom. Jake, you are a smart individual. For the three years that we've been doing this show, the entire reason you guys didn't want to do bathroom blend was because it was jokingly immature. And yes. now it's turned into, oh, we're going to pick the Mission Impossible Fallout scene because it took place in a bathroom. Oh, that's, that's a good one. That's actually that's a good not one, what bathroom blend is. All right, we'll, we'll get into it on the premium We will episode. get into we're, it on the premium We're stepping episode. on the toes. Yes, okay. Weekly poll. So we posted a poll on Friday and we said, uh, essentially, oh, actually, I, I waited till Monday to post this one because I waited for Fandom to be over. And I asked you guys, which movie technically won DC Fandom? Uh, Jake. Your four choices are Wonder Batman. Woman 1984. It's the Batman. The Batman won. Right. It's the Batman. Yes. The Batman won 61.9%. I didn't it even see the poll, but I just, I, I know how people voted. It beat out uh, my beloved Snyder Cut, uh, which got 24.3%. Suicide Squad got 9%. And Wonder Woman 1984 got 4.8%. So let's talk about Matt Reeves' contributions to uh, the DC universe. Batman, so the way I describe the Batman is essentially um, it's seven with uh, Batman and Commissioner Gordon instead of uh, Mills and Somerset. And if that's the if that's what we end up getting, that's genius. <laughs> like, it that's... looks like Fincher made a Batman movie. <laughs> oh, God. But but Matt Reeves, I don't want to shortchange Matt no, Reeves. No, no, of course not. Matt Reeves is yeah. amazing. And it Wait. looks like, like the Riddler is going to be the Zodiac. Yeah, and just when you think uh, Batman couldn't get darker... Like, that's yeah. the darkest trailer I've ever seen. Like, it is yeah. so dark. And, and I, I was talking to someone today about Batman and over the years kind of how, like, I, I, my buddy, uh, a buddy of mine at work was like, yeah, when the original Batman came out with Keaton, people talked about how dark it was. And then they were like, well, wait till they got into the future and saw Bale and, you know, when what, what Nolan did with the Batman Remember films. when we thought that was dark back in Remember the day? We, 
Right. And Dark Knight is not Dark Knight anymore. It's like Light Knight because like yeah, yeah, like yeah. this 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 uh this movie trailer, I mean, I had to like kind of look into my I was like what's going on here? Like it was such a dark trailer. That being right. said, Matt Reeves is incredible. Um, are we re- can we react to it now? Are we reacting to the trailer now? Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah we can. Oh, oh yeah. later on. Okay, Gabe. No, no, no. Oh, that's later fine. on we are? I couldn't oh, remember. Right. I forgot we have a, yes, I forgot yes. we have a fandom bit. Apologies. Yeah, we're getting to that. Yeah. Well, anyway, <laughs> the Batman ended up winning, and we'll uh, get to that on the other side of how about this interview. So I got a chance to sit down with Ed Solomon. As I mentioned, co-creator of the Bill and Ted franchise. We got to talk about Face the Music. Um, it's spoiler-free, uh, but that movie's coming out as of the time that we're dropping, and you guys will get a chance to see it in some select theaters. I know it's going to drive-ins, and it's going to be available on paid VOD. What a great so, drive-in movie. Yeah, hmm. it really is. That's a fun one to go see. They should do a triple uh, feature. I wonder. That's what I was just going to say. If there's a way for them to sort of line it up, that'd be really fun. Because um, so anyway. drive-ins are generally two movies, right? Normally, right? It's like you get two, two, and maybe you just do three. Like, that's the whole point of the grindhouse, right? That'd be a fun night. Yeah, and, and the movies could, are, what, an hour and a half? Yeah, it's kind of funny, too, because you could do the first one and the third one. Like you, <laughs> I like Bogus Journey a lot, but you don't need it for this third movie. But don't, so you, you, to, don't you need it to know who death is? Oh, I guess you would. All right, yeah, I guess you would. Do you know how long Face the Music is? Hour and a half? Se- 76 minutes. Yes! Oh, yes! I'm loving this new world of short minutes. movies. But, okay, that's sh- they're short, and there's this is just over an hour. <laughs> well, or there's host that's 56 minutes. We could always, yeah. I think that would be a really interesting discussion at one point, is when does it become a short film, and when is it a feature? And I know there's... Uh, the Academy uh, says 40 minutes. Okay, but like... If a movie was 65 minutes, is that it could, a feature it could, film? It could, in, it could in theory, I go by the Academy rules. It could, in theory, win Best Picture, yes. But do you think that's a wow. feature film, 65 minutes? I, I use the 40-minute marker as, like, I... Because I, I, then it gets into a gray area. Like, so okay, was if I Host hit, a feature film for you? Yeah. It would be, like, in theory, if I, I would feel... I'm not saying it's going to be, but in theory, yeah. I would feel the right to put it on my top ten list. It felt like it. Not to create another, like, you know, volume one, volume two. Ooh. We don't need another one of those feuds. Don't we, though? But does this make every single HBO series a, a film franchise? No, because it's the intent in which it's made. Don't. <laughs> Limited, I'm yeah. kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Limited series. The person who's trying to get us to go to the interview just posed the question that was going to get us talking more before the interview. <laughs> we have fun. We have fun. Right, I'm just kidding. Wait, wait, Gabe, what, what show? Are you wearing a Jurassic Park shirt? Yes, he is. Oh, so, yeah. Sean, why do you hate Spielberg? Well, do I? I'm wearing Skywalker Ranch, where he audio mixes most of his films. So I'm sorry. Did is is Skywalker Ranch the home of Steven Spielberg, or is it the home of George Lucas? Well, when I went there, uh, Jake, when I got to visit Skywalker Ranch with mm, my sure. child, sure. Um, oh, it, ter- it it reminded me of the home of George Lucas because uh, he has sure. a, a he has a home there, right, and a studio, and I got to hold the actual lightsaber that Luke used in. Um, New hope. Cool, so. cool. I'll just I'll I'll be sure to uh, you know whenever I want to talk a about about the things that you love, I'll be sure to just do like <laughs> Astros and Texans and Rockets. Yeah, since exactly. it is in direct correlation to what you love because it, it was just a blanket. <sighs> Sean, anywho, at, anywho, at any anywho. point during the interview, do you say they should rename the Ed Sullivan Theater to the Ed Solomon Theater? <laughs> Here's Ed Solomon talking. <laughs> Bill and Ted face the music. There's a line specifically from the new movie. That stood out to me when I heard it, where they say, maybe we should always not know what we're doing. And that struck me because in revisiting the two movies leading into the third one, I kind of wonder, like, what are Bill and Ted good at? 
Like, what are their strengths when you're sitting down to sort of plot them out and write dialogue for them? What a great question. I've never gotten that question. <laughs> uh, they are good at, uh, you know how your GPS, when you pass an exit it meant you to take or yeah. you turn in the wrong direction, it goes recalculating route. Bill and Ted feel things very deeply, but they're very good at recalculating their route okay. and committing to move forward. Right. I've, they're also very good at seeing the good in people around them and to living committed to that. Mm -hmm. And they're very good at navigating through difficult situations where all hope is lost while continuing to have faith. So I would say those are things they're good at. That's great. Yeah, they think on the fly, that's for sure. <laughs> they do. And, and Ted in particular, Ted is very good at coming up with a strange counterintuitive notion. And Bill is very good at taking that notion and putting it into actionable terms. Right, right. And they don't get rattled. When we were revisiting Bogus Journey, my wife hadn't seen Excellent Adventure in a really long time. And so when the two evil Ted, uh, evil Bill and evil Ted show up, she goes, aren't they phased by the fact that they're looking at themselves? And I was like, no, no, that's happened to them before. <laughs> 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 they don't get rattled at all. They don't get phased by stuff. No, I love the way they call themselves like that. You, your you is a dickweed. <laughs> my you, I liked my me. Yeah. Strange <laughs> <laughs> casual verbiage about that with themselves. I know that. That is fun. And, and none of those are things we actually thought about. It just came about. And in hindsight, we go like, oh, it's funny how they talk to each other. That yeah, that's really funny. Um, at the end of Bogus Journey, when they return with the two babies, were the, were the babies ever boys? Were they always girls? Well, look, I mean, <laughs> I'd like to pretend they were always girls. They weren't always girls. Right. We assumed because we were adolescent boys when we wrote Excellent Adventure, and we were barely adolescent, post-adolescent boys when we wrote Bogus Journey. Of course, we assumed they were going to be boys. Right. They happened to be played by girls, interestingly. Oh. Candace and Lauren Mead mm -hmm. played those characters. But regardless, look, we're, we were immature adolescent males, and so we wrote an immature adolescent male fantasy. 30 years pass, life changes, the world changes, we change, we grow up, we get married, we have children, we have sons, we have daughters. And of course, our culture evolves as it should. But we still, in 2009, 2010, we thought, let's write them as boys, because that's what we figured. Will and Theo, young Will and Theo. And I cannot tell you how boring they were. Really? No kidding. Oh, God. Derivative stale we you know we try to give them like bill and ted like voices it was just unbelievably like rehashed crap we hated it right right tried to make them into cool guys that was stupid and then when we finally had the idea a few years later wait why we're beating our heads against the wall with this what if what if they what if we they had daughters what if it's billy and thea just opened it up completely that's so, awesome. much better idea that's and awesome. it helped us with something we were trying to do anyway with the movie, which is the first two movies, they are male centric. They were written by boys who knew no better. Mm -hmm. And so this also gave us a chance to go, 
let's just widen it, man. Let's like, let there be more of a female presence and more, you know, just be, make it more inclusive. Well, really. and I, I hope you take this the right way. This one had a lot more heart uh, watching Face the Music. I appreciate that. No, I, I feel that, you know, where it may not be as jokey as the first couple of movies and it has a different energy in that way. Mm. Uh, it's imbued with a lot of other layers that are just the product of all of us being older and trying to write it from a place of truth as to where we are now, mm. as opposed to trying to dress them up as old Bill and Ted and just keep that going in a way, I'm glad I didn't watch the first two movies before we started writing this one, because I think I would have tried to replicate those more. Right. So in a way, it gives this movie its own DNA. And I don't take that in the wrong, wrong direction. I mean, it, it, it does have more heart just because it's about more meaningful things. Right. At, and it's about sadness and it's about disillusionment and disappointment. Well, Chris, Chris and I were joking yesterday we're saying, yeah, in a way, it's the feel-good movie about failure. Right. Right. Yeah. No, it, it does hang over them a lot over the yeah. course of this movie. It's an absurd, silly, ridiculous comedy about dashed hopes, lost dreams, unfulfilled promises, and ultimately figuring out a way to find meaning and get your, your Bill and Tedness back. Well, there's a lot of irony to the fact that you guys gave them this... Um, this destiny uh, 30 years ago, and they've never been good at songwriting. <laughs> It'd be like if someone told you you were going to write the great American novel, but you can't write. How do well, you live up uh, to that? I wanted to write the great American novel, and I can't write the great American novel. So I know what that's like. <laughs> yeah, uh, and that was the impetus, which is what you just said, is actually was the core impetus. We we were told as teenagers that this was our destiny. We haven't been able to make it work. Mm. What do we do? And how do you go on? And that's totally right. You're totally right. I'm glad you brought up the fact that you didn't revisit the other ones because so many sequels can just be recycled jokes uh, or, hey, here's a familiar beat. Remember when this happened kind of thing. And I thought it was really deliberate that Face of Music doesn't do that. Uh, so is it so, that's the way you guys approached it? it was a, that was the design of it? hundred percent. We didn't want to go back. We just, I mean, honestly, we have our own internal governors working against us on that anyway. Mm -hmm. Anytime we hit something that we felt was derivative, you know, we kind of choked a little bit anyway. Mm -hmm. And I do again, think that was probably, I, I guess probably it was an intuitively good choice. I, I don't know why I didn't go back and watch the first two. Mm -hmm. I'm not in general, someone who likes to go watch, earlier works anyway right it never crossed my mind to watch the movies before we started this well you know these characters though you know them yeah, on a gut level but i've only seen excellent adventure a couple of times i've only seen bogus journey a couple of times right but yeah we on an internal level we and we never had to worry about like talking about biography or characteristics we just jumped in feeling it let me tell you the character that made me laugh so hard I actually had to pause my screener. Do you know who I'm going to tell? You, who I'm going to say? I'm going to guess, but I'll let you say it. And I'll see if I'm right. It's it's Dennis Caleb McCoy. Yeah, that's who I figured. He he <laughs> he was a revelation. I think Anthony Kerrigan's performance was uh, a true revelation. It was a character we loved, and Chris and I love writing these like dark, vicious villains who ultimately are just deeply insecure and want to be loved. Right. 
always really fun to write. But Anthony took it to the next level in a way that cracked me up. I mean, a couple of my very favorite lines in the movies were in the movie were his uh, ad libs, honestly. Right, right, right. Yeah, it's a yeah. terrific character. Um, I am really curious how quickly now we know that the script changed a lot uh, over the course of you guys working on it. But what's an element of, of the story that you fought to maintain? That no matter how much the script went through revisions and, and changed, that you said that this has to be an element of this sequel if we're ever going to pull it off. The second act stayed closer to the final version than anything else, mm-hmm. which is uh, they're told they need this song. They feel like they must have written it because they told them in the future they had written it. They go, why don't we, if we have written it, we just must not have written it yet. Let's go into the future to when we have steal it from ourselves, which gave us that it's a wonderful life Christmas Carol kind of more like Christmas Carol trajectory. That spine stayed. Okay. And uh, their love for their wives, their love for their daughters stayed. We never wanted them to be fuck up parents. Mm -hmm. We never wanted them to have a bad marriage. And I think the... Yeah, I think those are the things that were like always in it from beginning to end. We added death a little bit later. Uh, we added um, a lot of the first, a lot of the beginning of the movie. We played around with the, the couples therapy scene was always there from the beginning, but okay. we took it out, put it in, took it out, put it in, and uh, I'm glad we kept it in. Um, the ending changed a lot. Our original ending in this movie was a very somber, very quiet one in our very first draft. Really? Very personal. Yeah. There was no reality coming unglued. It was Bill and Ted had in an act of incredible hubris 30 years ago, spent a hundred thousand dollars to rent the Rose bowl for their 30 year anniversary, assuming it would be just packed and they do triumphant 30 year reunion tour. Or 30 year anniversary tour. And now it's getting close to them and they've sold literally zero tickets because their careers tanked, right. but they still have to perform at the Rose Bowl or at least go there. Okay. So we had a scene where they go and try to get their money back from the Rose Bowl and they're like, no, it's not <laughs> possible. And we actually brought the movie to the end of the Rose Bowl and it was empty and no one was ever there and they failed. They okay. failed. Wow. Never came up with a song and they go home. And then they just hear this music playing and they realize it was never them. It was never them. It was, it was their kids. And that was our original ending, but that felt too small. And if you look back at both movies, bogus and excellent adventure, we had smaller endings that had to get reshoot reshot because audiences were like, come on, man, you just let us down. You build and build and build. And then like the first movie ended in a classroom instead of an auditorium. And the second movie ended in a smaller venue. I don't remember, but we, we reshot both endings okay. to both. So we said, let's be smart and know that we aren't going to necessarily be able to reshoot this ending or don't want to just reshoot it again. Okay. Um, yeah. What was it like writing uh, a scene that included George Carlin for this movie? Initially, we had a bigger scene. Initially, we had one of my favorite scenes in the movie, which was, in the second act, when Bill and Ted are trying to figure out what the hell went wrong with us, they visited themselves at the Circle K on the night when their other selves arrived with George Carlin. Uh, and we had a whole scene where Ted interacted with young Ted 
and Bill and Ted interacted with George Carlin. And aside from the fact that we just didn't have the money, we had very little money to make the movie. So we couldn't actually afford to shoot that scene. And part of the reason we couldn't afford to shoot it was it cost so much money to do all the digital manipulation of George Carlin. And we thought to ourselves, is that really what we want to do? Do we really want to manipulate George? No, I felt weird. Right. Make it appear that the guys were interacting with him. That just didn't feel right. So we jettisoned the scene and we put George in the hologram as, as he is in this movie. So you see him for a moment and then we named the emissary from the future who was going to be a character based on like a Henry Rollins type character. It's like another kind of cool male. And we were like, no, what are we doing? This movie needs to open up. It's his daughter. Of course, it's his daughter. It's right. Kelly. Right. And George had a daughter named Kelly. So we named the character Kelly. And that felt like a much more, I don't know, truthful and on theme way to do it. And Kelly Carlin's in the movie. She's got a little cameo in the future. Oh, that's awesome. I'm going to run out of time, but I have to ask really fast. Um, as someone who loved Steve Vai, uh, I was a huge extreme fan. And you have Nuno Betancourt playing in the first movie. Uh, who's playing guitar in the second one? Who did you guys lean on in this one? Oh, you know what? I don't know the answer. No. I actually don't know the answer. I'm sorry to say, I wish I did know. I'm sorry. I, they're, they're great. I, I wish I knew who it was. I'm so sorry. I don't know that. All right. Well, then I'll try one last one then. Um, yeah, it's sure. just really funny with time travel movies. They often get a fan base that just sort of picks them apart and analyzes yeah. every element of it. Your franchise gets a pass on stuff. People just sort of accept the rules of Bill and Ted. Do you have any idea why you think that is? It. I don't know, but I'm going to read you a tweet that happened this morning. It's so funny. Somebody sent me something from, I don't know, oh, an article from Parade. Okay. And they have a section called Cinema Sins. Mm -hmm. And it says, the movie experts at Cinema Sins find some excellent boo-boos in Bill and Ted. Um, uh, Napoleon enjoys ice cream for the first time in his life. In reality, the French, you know, Beethoven pay, plays a piano that wasn't invented. Greece, you know, go through these things. Yeah. And, I, and my, uh, my response, which I tweeted was, but everything else in this movie about time traveling teenagers who always somehow land exactly next to a famous person is apparently 100% accurate. <laughs> it's the strangest thing when people try to say like, well, that wouldn't have happened in Greece. In Greece, the statues weren't really white. And I'm like, Dude, <laughs> with, none of this makes sense right we actually almost led off the movie with a title that just said this movie makes no sense <laughs> <Just all laughs> well i saw that in your notes did you guys have yeah. that in your notes one time yeah <laughs> that's so funny all right and listen man thank you so much for taking the time i thought this was a blast i had a really fun time and i love seeing them together and uh i'm so glad you were able to come on the real blind podcast i'm thrilled to get to get to be on it thanks for having me any other time you want me, let me know. Okay, thanks, man. Take, talk right, to you soon. Cool. Take care. Thank you very much. We want to thank Ed Solomon for coming by the Real Blend podcast. That was a lot of fun to talk with him. I've been a fan of Bill and Ted, those two films leading up to it, and uh, it's great to see them back in Face the Music, so make sure that you guys are able to check that out now that it's on paid VOD or potentially in a theater near you. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. 
I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, talking points. So we were talking about the DC fandom bits and we were jumping ahead of the the curve, the Batman trailer. Um, It's been interesting to see the marketing for this too, because if you guys remember, we got that... um, really quick shot of the up close cowl with the really red saturated background. Now we get a trailer and Matt Reeves is talking about the fact during this panel that they've only filmed a quarter of the movie and essentially had to shut down because of COVID and the, and the movie looks that good with just shooting a quarter of it. But we were recording a reaction video on cinema blend after fandom. And at the end of it, I reminded everybody that it's not coming out until October of 2021. So like, we can get excited about it now and talk about how good it looks, but damn, that's really we, long we way got off. to ways. Yeah, a and long I think part of it too is that that felt like a full trailer rather than yeah. like it. It had been one thing if it had just been a quick thirty second teaser, mm-hmm. and that almost would be a reminder of like, yeah, we got to like it's cool to get a clip, but we got a ways to go. That felt like the tra- kind of trailer that comes as a studio is getting ready to release a film. Mm-hmm. And yes. and they're not because it's not even done filming yet. Like right. So I think that's why I keep having to remind myself of how far we have to go before it comes out. The one I, thing the trailer confirmed for me was the Batman voice is awesome. Like like it, it sounds amazing. It sounds like Pattinson's voice but with just a little bit of a. What, what did he uh, say uh, other than I'm vengeance? I'm vengeance. No, I just it, but you can still hear his voice though. Like I mean, if that was. Bale would have been like, I'm vengeance. I mean, like, but you know what I mean? Like, it would have been like a different I just, I just feel like it's, you're, we're jumping the gun a little bit to no, assume no, what like the... Like, no, I like No, I do, but I just think it's it's to say, to, to use two words to say that, like, oh, that's, that's exactly that's what it's... That's his voice. You know? Do you think it would still sound cool, though, if he said, so that's how it feels? <laughs> oh, my God. What if you... What I if like you, Dark Knight Rises, thank you very much. What if at one point, like he like after he beats down that bad guy, which is which is one of the coolest things ever. Like he's like, I am wearing hockey pads this time. <laughs> okay, and this this is gonna this is gonna take off, Kevin. I like Dark Knight Rises better than Interstellar. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> All right, thanks everybody. Appreciate it. Oh, the show oh. is over. Right, I'll see you guys the later. Show just. All right, later on, Kev. Well, the show's about to get a lot shorter because Kevin's gone. Let's cut to uh, Wonder Woman 1984. Jake, I, you can't say that with a straight face. True come story. on, man. That, True that, story. Come on. Come True on, story. man. I love if you, you. If you said you got to put on one of them and watch it, I'd say Dark Knight Rises far and away. Dude, even I can't say that. Oh I don't really God. like it. <laughs> well, you also think Kill Bill's two movies, so you're wrong. Right? <laughs> it is Why is it so hostile today? We're being so mean to each other. It is really. We, we've had a lot of it's stuff been going a day. on the scene. It's, it's been, been a, a day. And we're taking it out on each other. <laughs> it's been an emotional, emotional um, day. And we can't tell you why. I know. I'm like, going to say something about Wonder Woman 1984 um, while we transition to that trailer. Oh, oh, Sean. I, 
Sir? I'm sorry. We have to mention the Nirvana track and the Jakino score. I'm oh, sorry. Sure. Oh, I yeah. just, I just have to say that because something. Great in a way, song choice. I mean, what a. I mean, wh- wait. There have been two trailers that come out recently with a Nirvana song in it. What was the other one? There was another one that had uh, a Nirvana song. I'll look it up in a second. Gabe, if I don't know if you can look that up, but there was a, there was another trailer that came out recently that used a Nirvana track. It was like a. So recent, is that where we are now? Where we're using moody '90s. It's uh, where we are tra- now. Entertain uh, us. Wait, no. but that was the song that they used in the trailer. I think not not the Batman one, but the other one you're talking about. Yes. I think it was Smells Like Teen Spirit. I now think that so. you just did that. Sounds right. Two. But that seems that seems on target yeah. 20 years ago. You know, yeah, yeah. that seems on yeah, yeah, target yeah, yeah. for I think so. cyclical pop culture. But, uh, but isn't the movie takes place in the 90s, correct, Sean? That's what I, I, I do they I define it. Did I'm I read sure that somewhere? Time period. Someone was saying, I think as a genre, that it's like a 70s crime thriller. You might have been reading okay. that. Okay. But, but I do want to just shout out Jakino because the oh, way that, God, because Sean was texting over the weekend, the way that the transition from the Nirvana track, something in the way, into the elements of, of, um, of the score, Jakino's score, is very cool. And I thought that once that logo popped up in the red and that oh. note, and you hear what Giacchino is about to bring uh, to that franchise. I am so excited. I mean, I love the work that, you know, Zimmer and Junkie XL did with Snyder's stuff, um, but I cannot wait to hear what Giacchino does. There's a, there's music over the logo. Yeah. I thought it was the, the sound of the duct tape. No, there's, no, there's Uh, like a, at at the the end end of the movie, at the end of the clip. Oh, okay. I thought you meant, oh, I thought you meant the Warner Brothers logo. Sorry, I thought you meant the Warner Brothers logo. Sorry. Uh, I haven't. So here's my here's my controversial take. I'm sure Wonder Woman 1984 is going to be is going to be good. I haven't seen anything yet in the marketing that has really got me hyped up about seeing it. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I I think it looks to me, it looks like sort of the standard superhero sequel. And and I got to be and I don't know enough about the character Cheetah to know what she's supposed to look like in relation to the comic book. Right. But I would have loved if they had found a way to make it less CGI. Especially coming off of Batman, which looks and granted it's only twenty five percent of the film, but yeah. it just looks like it's going to be so as practical as possible. It just and then you, you turn around and see Wonder Woman, which just looks like a a fun popcorn, but like just honestly CGI fest. Now I I do want to shout out Patty Jenkins only because mm-hmm. the, um, the and again and the, and no one here is saying that she's not a great director. We're just referring no. to the second trailer. Um, but I I have a lot of faith in her, especially after what she delivered with the first Wonder Woman. I thought it was a, an incredible film, except for the third act, which was a little bit more CGI heavy, as we were just discussing. Um, but I, one thing I noticed in the trailer, and this is maybe it have already been confirmed. I just didn't know it until I saw the new trailer. So they're basically doing the reversal of the first one. So in the first one, Chris Pine's character helps her integrate into the real world, right? It helps helps her yeah. become. So in this one, it seems like she's doing that for him, right? If you watch the trailer, she's teaching him about the world they're living in now because he's been gone for that long. And I'm like, yeah, are they so are they just, are they just reversing the bit? Because to me. What made the first Wonder Woman so awesome, besides the action, was their relationship. Like the reason I like my favorite scene in the first Wonder Woman film is on the boat when they're mm-hmm. going to when they're leaving and going to uh, more than No Man's one. Land. Yeah, more than No Man's Only, Land. Only here's here's why I love the No Man's Land scene. I think it's just an obvious visual amazing mm-hmm. sequence. I just loved what they built in that scene, um, and just the the vulnerability, the 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 softness of that scene. And I think that that see again that scene is so pivotal to why you care. 
at the end of the film. Like they, sure, they're sure. implanting that in your mind. So I, I just got a sense in this new trailer that they were reversing that whole bit. Oh, they're, she they're rush hour toing it. Yeah. Well, and but- I, and you know. I didn't even pick up on that. You're right. There's the moment in the first one where like she eats ice cream for the first time. Right. And now in this one, he's like trying on 80s clothes. Right. Like, at the fish out of water. It's yeah, the same interesting. bit. I never thought but, about um, that. But speaking of Patty Jenkins, she did shoot this film on film, <laughs> um, but with 65 millimeter IMAX cameras, same cameras that Nolan uses for Tenet and Dunkirk, all that stuff. So you're going to have full blown like 70 millimeter IMAX shots. And, it's, I, and I think that, uh, again, I'm not saying that that makes the film better from a storytelling standpoint. I just think that this film is going to be bigger than we think it is and better than we think it is. But I agree with you. The trailer, while it did have some cool action, it did nothing in that trailer said to me that this sequel needed to be made uh, besides a money decision. But not yet. I, it's a trailer. So, yeah, we'll see what happens. It All looks right, cool. I mean, I'm excited. Uh, of course. Let's shift gears into my favorite topic uh, ever. The Snyder Cut trailer. <laughs> and if you want to uh, watch a grown man cry, head on over to the YouTube channel, the Cinema Blend YouTube channel, and you can watch my re- my reaction to the Snyder Cut trailer. And it was about as raw as you could imagine. And I was, no, I was literally not anticipating it to hit me the way that it did. Um, and it was just, <clears throat> so Zach chooses the song and he uses Alleluia. And obviously he used it in Watchmen uh, during the lovemaking scene. But you learn after the fact, I did not know this when he used it. Um, and, and, and I thought, yeah, but I thought in the moment, without even knowing the backstory, I thought in the moment that it actually worked really well for the images that he was choosing to show. Um, but you, my first subtle reaction to it was, he's just so happy to be able to come back to this project. It's a dueling meaning. It Absolutely. means that. It means what you just said, but it also means what you're getting to. And and so, yeah, but then you learn after the fact that obviously the reason he left Justice League in the first place was because his daughter Autumn died from suicide. And this was a song that was very important to her. So he ends up using it. But now I've even seen someone went through and broke down the lyrics. Each of the lyrics from the song and the images that he chose to show mirror the lyrics. Oh, that's interesting. Like oh. extremely well. Um, Doesn't because surprise me. Yeah, and uh, I, I wish I knew whose Twitter account has it, but they have a thread where they take off each two lines of the of the song, and the imagery mirrors it perfectly. So it it, it was just a, a the culmination of seeing this footage uh, realized. It's too much to even wrap my brain around because this has been and and again this has been a three year fight by Snyder's fans to get this cut released. Uh, they found out on May 20th that they're going to do it. Everyone who's listening to this, like by, by this point, likely knows that I've taken this project on to tell their what? story. But I didn't know how invested in it I've actually become. Like to to see it happening and to see in order to write the book, uh, I've been uh, immersed in the theatrical cut and it's such a bad movie. So to see good versions of scenes that somewhat exist in a, in another movie, but like shown better. And Kevin takes this stance all the time of just like when, when an actual filmmaker shoots, like you just see Zach putting his art forward and it was just, it was too much. It was overwhelming. I loved it. What did you guys think of the trailer? 
I thought it looked great, though I will say I want to start doing reaction videos to your reaction videos <laughs> where I react to how you're reacting because yeah, I yeah. loved watching that video so much. If, if people have, if you haven't seen it, it's doing very well. Not like, not to. Well, of course it smoke. is. Okay. Well, that moment's ruined. Um, no, but I, uh, no, I, I thought it looked, it honestly looked great. Um, I'm kind of like, I'm in, you know, like I was mm. sort of sold and sort of solidified that like. He's back making the project he wants. I, I've only seen um, the the Joss Whedon theatrical uh, Justice League once, Ooh. so I don't have enough of a memory to you really compare watch it. it. I think it's on HBO. Yeah, or I think it's on HBO Max. Or like, yeah, I, yeah. Don't even, I, don't, like, I don't really particularly want to. I mean, I hated it. I, I, mean, I'll <laughs> you, I, don't, I don't know if you ever saw my review, but uh, it, it was not good. Um, but, Did you uh, do the junket? I know Kevin. No, that that was I did um there were not to get too in the weeds, there were a couple of junkets in London and then there were a couple of junkets in LA. I did the ones in LA. Gotcha. And then uh, our other uh, correspondent did it uh hmm. the uh that one. But I think it looks great. Um and I'm sold and uh, I'm just really happy that it exists. Yep. So Sean, I have some questions because I, I you're you're obviously very knowledgeable on this. It's funny, like the other day, uh, this is actually a couple Actually, this was a while ago, but I remember being in a car with this must have been before the pandemic. Now that I'm thinking about it, I was driving home from somewhere and you and I got on a phone call together and talked for like an hour. I might have been driving home from my parents like in mm-hmm. February. I think it was I was yeah, it was the Kevin Smith. It was the Kevin Smith thing. Oh, and nice. we're driving home together and you were just waxing poetic about the Snyder cut. Mm-hmm. And like Lauren is sitting in the passenger seat going, damn, he knows so much. And also <laughs> like you make it interesting for people who don't know about it Mm. like the beauty of what we do and the business that we're in is when you're passionate about something people will be passionate with you even if they're not interested in it because they get attracted to somebody who's passionate about something you know what i mean Mm. yeah Um, sure and so i'm I, i just you're my source for any questions i have so this film was shot 35 now the one thing i find interesting about it is this Batman vs. Superman was shot on multiple formats. Um, mm-hmm. You had 65mm IMAX cameras, you had 65mm regular cameras, you had 35mm cameras, you had a GoPro shot at one point in the film. Um, it was all over the place, but I s- had the chance to see that in the 143, the gigantic 70mm IMAX projection, and it was glorious. I mean, right, obviously, right. you know, some of the most memorable shots were their fight, when he pops to full IMAX, the funeral scene pops to full IMAX. No, yeah, mm-hmm. at BBS. Mm-hmm. So I guess I am interested in knowing he shoots Justice League on 35. Right. Now, he before everything went down and before he left the project, he had clearly made a decision to shoot 35 millimeter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So why did he not continue with the big format as he did with BVS when he's making the arguably the biggest of the movies? That's a great question. I don't really know, to be honest with you. He's maintaining some sort of aspect ratio when it goes to HBO Max that allows it to capture what you would see in an IMAX format. Right. But so he's got to condense it down for television sets. It's a one it's a one three three, which is also a four by three ratio. Um so four by three, one three three. It's the same uh if people who haven't seen the Charlie Kaufman movie, it comes out September fourth. I'm I'm uh, thinking of ending things. It's shot in one three three. It's the same exact ratio Snyder used, meaning mm-hmm. you have black bars on the left and right side of the screen, and like you said, Sean, it's a wider, taller image. It's taller, but, yeah. And so I did find that to be a very fascinating thing as I watched the trailer. I I, w- I was watching scenes and noticing how deep 
everything looked because yeah, yeah. what it does is it condenses down to like I'm not I'm I'm uh, I'm thinking of ending things. The reason it's used there is for claustrophobia, right? Mm-hmm. They he wants you to uh, Charlie Kaufman wants you to feel claustrophobic while you're riding in the car with these characters. That's the point of using that. But Snyder, I don't think it is a claustrophobic thing. I think it has to do with you, what you said is the tallness of the image. Um, I'm just interested in knowing when you found out that it was in that aspect ratio, because the film that we saw in theaters, which did yeah. have Snyder's footage in it, was full widescreen. I, was, I would assume 239 or whatever it would be. It was a widescreen format. So he clearly still shot with the widescreen. It's yeah. like it's it's as if he's saying, "Oh, I want to condense it for television." And on I didn't know that until just a couple of days before he put the new trailer out. That like, is, that, that was shocking to me. Yeah, like that was genuinely. So the whole movie is going to look like that. I All think so. four hours is going yeah. to be one three three. I think so. Which yeah. is a very 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 weird and bold decision for a superhero film. Do you know and what it looks like to me? They look like portraits. It, yes. it almost has a portrait aspect to it. I'm going to use the scene in particular with Aquaman walking out onto the pier and yes. he's taking his shirt off. And the way that that like I've seen the Comic-Con trailer a thousand times Why? and yeah. you see him drinking as he's throwing the bottle and the waves crashing over him. Um, and yeah, and it's a traditional wide. Now it's this taller sort of like the way that it's framed now puts you more into the story. I, I kind of want I want to know. I, I, I don't know if this has been answered. Has he talked about So the reason he's using the one, three, three is, is uh, the four by three, which is the box format, is to have a taller image and preserve that kind of ratio. Yeah. But I want to know again. I know, I know you don't know this yet because we haven't asked him this question, but I really want to know when he made the decision. Was it a decision because it's on television? Because that's a really strange... That would be like Avengers coming out in 4x3. That's kind of... But again, we're not... Again, we haven't seen all four hours. I have no idea. But IMDb has it listed as 4x3. The entire trailer was 4x3. And so I don't... I don't know. He should come on and explain it to us. That would be great. Gabe, Gabe, you're a cinematography person. You're you're big and... You're big... No, because you went to school for it. You know know about shots. Is that strange? It is, I I didn't I didn't know it was supposed to be like that. I thought that was just like a creative Oof. choice for the for the trailer because even for with with it being for TV doesn't really like I know make a difference because everyone has widescreen TVs and like there are no like square TVs anymore. It's like he took so the it image not like it's like a yeah. has, so I don't know I don't know I don't know it's weird. I thought it was just a creative choice for like the tone of the trailer and well there's a, there's a scene in particular set the difference between everything else that's coming. But, but, but they showed as, you. There's a scene in particular where um, Wonder Woman, Aquaman and Cyborg are on a platform and they're about to head into battle and they show you what it looks like in the theatrical cut. And then they show you what it looks like in his. And it just and for people who aren't watching the YouTube, it blows it up this much to show you that much more of the ship that's behind them that they're on. And it it, to me opens the world up more for them. So, I mean, I trust his judgment that he's picking this visual aspect. I guess what I find it'll be strange to see on a widescreen TV, though. That's that's my concern, too. Four by three. Yeah, I think what I find fascinating about the decision is this. So what you're basically telling me is if he shot it. Obviously, the movie was shot, so we the footage is there. We're seeing it. So he clearly has on. There's clearly is stuff on that side. Like yeah. it's he filmed it with the wide. 
unless it was somehow digitally squashed, which I don't know how they would even pull that off. But basically what's happened here. No, no I'm sure it's all wide. OK, yeah. so that yeah. means he must have shot it on a very large aspect ratio, because if he's getting top to bottom of the screen in yeah, that, yeah. that's a big deal. I, I would imagine unless he well, blew it up. I don't know. I also think that he's eventually planning. So he's going to do it in four one hour episodes, but he's also going to have a complete assemblage cut. Oh, cool. That's what I thank you. That makes me happy. So you get your choice. Oh, you will eventually get your choice. Okay. Are you? I like the episodes. (laughs) I want to watch it as a movie. I like both. Well, oh, but but here's the thing. I don't know this much. I don't know if they're both going to arrive at the same time. Oh, I think he has said after the four episodes run, he'll have a he'll have a complete package for everybody to almost. Well, first off, to own like a DVD or a steelbook or something like that that people could put on their shelves. But I think he's going to have the ability. He's going to also complete a cut that is the full four things cool. together. All right, I'm going to put this last question out into the universe. I know we don't have answers to it, but I just want to put it out there because maybe eventually if you talk to him at some point, I would love to know this. When he initially made Justice League, was it supposed to come out in theaters in that format? I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, know. that would have been well, unprecedented to see a massive. I don't think it was. I, I, don't, I don't think, think it, it was. would. So you no, think it was I, a, it was an HBO Max type of choice, yes. meaning not, that, that it was OK. This is going to be in people's homes. Let's give it. Let's give them a tall image versus a sure, wide image. Because if you looked at the or the trailers that he did release when it was still his movie, they looked normal. And I'm sure yeah. that it was going to be released in those different formats. It's fascinating. So. And I, I did want to say one more thing. We don't know 100 percent. For sure, if the whole movie looks like that, right? We're just are we just assuming that because I, I mean that the trailer looks like that. The IMDb says it's going to be four by three, one one three three. I just yeah, assume that I don't going know if forward. He's confirmed anything about the entire thing. I mean, it's but cr- maybe because it doesn't, it won't transition. The transition won't pop the way there was if it was on a big screen. Is what I'm thinking. Yeah, I just I, I, I would be next. really surprised if it sticks that I way. I think it is going to yeah. stick it that seems way. So I don't know, man. I I, I think it is. I, I it, the, I, the, the, I think of the general audience looking at that is going to be I know confused yeah. more than anything. Mm. I you know Sean didn't you didn't we talk about this? It's that's the format he's using. I think he commented on that, right? I, but I kind of love it. Like every time I go back to rewatch that trailer, I kind of love the amount of of I, of space that it that I find it, it strange, but I am intrigued. Well. Speaking maybe of he, stri- maybe he thought he was cutting it for Quibi, you know, when he did the phones. <laughs> it's, just, it's so weird. Like I just feel like we we came so far. Like like we all used to have square TVs. Yeah. And it was such a big deal for filmmakers to be like, no, like like get a widescreen TV because it more matches and now we're like going the opposite direction. Now we're going back. Snyder's taking us back. We're going we're back. Like, we all we all gotta go buy square TVs again? Yeah, Snyder right. cut off Snyder cut frame. Uh, Snyder's cutting my patience. Speaking of uh, strange and abnormal, um, let's transition to spoiler-free tenant thoughts, which is going to be a, a <laughs> weird topic for us to dance around because we do not, under any circumstances, want to spoil this movie for anybody. And again, it's one of those; it's a difficult movie to spoil. Yes, but but that being said, we're we're extremely aware of the fact that people going into this movie want to be as in the dark as possible. Um, Nolan is obviously extremely intricate with the way that he lays out his stories. Uh, but the three of us were lucky enough to see it. Now, Gabe, do we want to talk about it at the onset of how we, with theaters and, and returning or. Yeah, I, I, so, I can cover that. I basically yeah, okay. just want to say that like, because movies like this are going to keep coming out, it seems. And because it's not a, you know, ubiquitous thing as far as theaters being open everywhere. Uh, we are going to be mindful of that moving forward. 
of, you know, not flippantly throwing tenant stuff out. We're going to keep this stuff contained so that if you want to avoid it, you can avoid it, but you can still enjoy the rest of the show because, you know, if you live somewhere that's not going to have a theater for X amount of days or, or you're not comfortable, you can make that decision and still enjoy the show. So we're going to do spoiler free this week. Anybody can listen to it. Totally spoiler free. If you don't want to know anything about it, uh, as I, as am I, uh, you know, you can skip this segment. Um, next week we'll do a spoiler talk on it, but we'll have it very clearly laid out of when we're going to do that. Um, and then we'll kind of leave that there for you guys to visit and we'll, we'll be sure not to touch on that stuff moving forward just because it's so sporadic of who will, who is comfortable going to a theater and who will be able to go in general. So, and it's, it's also, I think it's also worth admitting and being transparent in that myself, Kevin and Sean, our screening experiences are not reflective of what the average moviegoers experience is going to look like. We were all very fortunate to have screenings set up for us. Um, either in our hometown. Sean yeah, yeah, Sean had a whole circumstance. <laughs> but we were all very fortunate to have screenings set up for us um, that had very few to no other people in it. Um, and, you know, we're, we're very lucky in that way. Um, so I think it would be um, dishonest to, to not be transparent about that and, and just be, and just openly admit that, like, we recognize that, that our circumstances seeing it are not the circumstances that those of you at home are going to have if you live in an area in which theaters are open. Yeah, right. and I also want to say that, you know, when we review this film, there's going to be excitement coming out of our mouths. Like, like, and, and I don't want that excitement to make it seem like, oh, well, you need to rush out and go right away. Because if your threshold is you don't feel safe going to a theater, we that that's totally fine. My mom and dad will not go to a movie theater. I'll tell you a quick story and to go, go, go with this. My parents came to visit me last weekend. I was going to see uh, the Inception 20th anniversary showing the night before they came to the house. And my mom called me and said, can you please not go to that before we come over? Because oh, wow. we're not we're not comfortable. We're, uh, we're, we would just rather you go next week because that way Good you for them for being yeah. honest. Yeah, and it was, right, that's very fair. And, mm-hmm. and, and I said, great. Cool, cool. And that's, that's the thing. Kevin like, said, tough shit. I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Come next week. <laughs> but, but it was one of those weird things where you, we have to understand that everybody has their own threshold of. So I have two of my best friends from college. Uh, their names are Josh and Sean. One of them is on the fence. We might go see Tenant together in, uh, in September. The mm. other one. Hell no. He is not going to theater. And we're on a call last night together as friends. And I'm like, dude, man, I understand. I was like, I mean, I really would love for you to come see it with us, but I'm I'm not going to make fun of you for not going. So mm-hmm. while you will sense excitement from us, that's just the general movie. We're not talking about right. it at all within the time frame we are living in. We are. Just, and that's the thing. I think it's very important, by the way. And I think I'm seeing this a lot in the press. This film does not. This film does not exist in a in the pandemic world. What I mean by that is the film was made prior to the pandemic. And mm-hmm. I think the film should be talked about as if it's the movie that Chris Nolan made and not the idea of like, oh, it's going to be this, this and this and this. And I get that we're in the times. It's about going to theaters. Totally get that. But my thoughts on the movie are coming from a perspective of just watching the film and not thinking about the world right now. It's just the film. So before we get to our reactions, I got to tell my story about what happened to me yesterday, Um, because this was and again, listen, first, the first world of most first world problems anyone could ever have. But in the moment, it was really frustrating. Um, I'm in North Carolina. North Carolina theaters are not open yet. They won't be open until September 11th at the earliest. That's when our governor is going to determine whether we're moving on to the next phase. Uh, South Carolina, the Wild West. They're doing whatever they want down there. Their theaters are open 
Um, which is strange because their numbers are worse than North Carolina, but they're like, what the heck, we're going to open anyway. Um, so Warner Brothers, extremely gracious, uh, willing to set up a screening for me in Greenville, South Carolina. Um, I don't think that they realize that Greenville, South Carolina is not that close to Charlotte, but like to them, like it's the Carolinas, so he can get there. And again, I didn't mind. It's 90 minutes away. I was happy to get there. They told me 10 a.m. screening Wednesday. Uh, I was like, excellent. I'm there. So got up with Michelle when she was ready to go to school. Uh, I left work uh, or I left for the theater at eight o'clock, got there at 930 for my 10 o'clock screening. And as soon as I was pulling up, I get a call from the rep who's going to be meeting there. And she says, um, well, slight hiccup. Uh, the the digital file, Kev, not to give you uh, the heebie-jeebies, the digital file uh, that's supposed to be coming hasn't arrived yet. So apparently what what I've learned over the course of the time is that there are two ways that you can get a, a movie to a theater at this point now. If it's not reels of film, which because I'm not quite sure where reels of film exist anymore, they can satellite beam it Chicago. down to your location. The, the theater I saw it in was reels of film. Awesome. That's great. That's fantastic. Um, <laughs> they can satellite beam it to you uh, or they can send a digital file that then gets. And I heard this word a lot yesterday. Ingested. It mm -hmm. gets ingested into the system. Uh, that wasn't there yet. It was going to arrive by 1030. So the manager said, usually takes about an hour for a movie to ingest. And then from from that point on, we're rolling. So they Why said, didn't you cool. tell them just to invert the ingest? I felt like they were inverting my entire day. <laughs> they could have, you could have watched went. the film as it inverted. Might as well. <laughs> so uh, I went and got coffee. Uh, I was waiting for the 1130 screen time to start back up. And then I got a phone call from the rep and the manager said, uh, yeah, that hour long file is actually going to take somewhere between three to six hours. Oh, three, three to six hours. So um, looking at about 430 now at this point uh, on the low end, looking at 630 on the high end. And uh, the Warner Brothers rep is like, OK, what if we just said seven o'clock tonight and you can go home and come back? And I was like, I'm not going home and coming back again. The Carolinas, they're big. <laughs> they're really big. I can't just go home and come back. So I said, cool, I'll tough it out. Um, and this is where the day started to turn a little bit in my favor. The manager was just like, well, what do you want to go see? And I was like, uh, uh, what do you got? And then he rattled down all the titles. And in addition to the cutthroat cities and the unhinged of the world, they were doing all this retro programming. And he was like, I got Black Panther starting in 10 minutes. And I was like, all right, game on. I'll go watch Black Panther. So my first official movie uh, back to theaters ended up being Black Panther. I had that entire theater myself. And the whole time I'm sitting there watching it and I'm, I'm digging it having a really good time with it. But I'm thinking, like, I hope I come out of here and they tell me the tenant's ready to go. Like, I hope that the file, you know, you download the file and it says like five hours and then all of a sudden it's like 90 minutes and you're moving it along. So I come out and the guy's like, uh, yeah, it still looks like about 645, seven o'clock tonight. You're going to be ready to go. <laughs> and now it's like 1215. And I was like, come on, I'm dying. He goes, all right, what do you want to go see? <laughs> all right, I'm going to go see Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> and uh, so I turned it into a little mini film festival. It ended up being pretty cool. And then what I will do is I'll transition that into I waited nine hours to see Tenant. And I would have waited nine additional hours <laughs> to see it because it is so worth it. Um, it it's so worth it. It's it's uh, it, it's Nolan at his most Nolan-y <laughs> in the best way possible. Um, you can read my review I put up on Cinema Blend right now. It is relatively spoiler free. I gave it five stars. Um, th there's one thing I wanted to sort of ding it for. And this isn't spoiling much of anything, but we'll we'll talk about, I'm sure, 
the audio mix. Um, Christopher Nolan and his audio mixes can be complicated. Uh, I had a really hard time with Interstellar. When I saw Interstellar in the theater, all of the stuff that he has going on over the course of the movie often drowns out dialogue. Before we even started recording, we were talking about Bane uh, and the issues that they had with him. Um, and Sean, and one just the, real fast, that that's yeah. a story that not, not, I mean, people remember it happening, but the prologue came out for Dark Knight Rises. People yes. couldn't understand what Bane was saying through the mask. And then it no was one the specifically, it. it was the scene in the airplane. The he prologue. showed the entire airplane the scene. Yeah, it was the beginning. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Yes. And right. People couldn't understand anything that Tom Hardy was saying. And he went back and fixed it, didn't he? He went back and did ADR. I think yeah. he ADR'd every Bane line, didn't he? Well, yeah, well, he definitely changed it. Like we we know that he fixed it to make it sound. It's 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 noticeably different. It actually sounds kind of cartoony. It sounds a, a little bit cartoony. I like it. So, all that being said, it is um, it's Nolan doing a spy movie. Uh, it's it's Nolan doing global espionage essentially. It's, it's Nolan doing Terminator. It's a lot. It's a little bit of Nolan doing Terminator. A little, well, a lot bit of Nolan doing Terminator. Um, but I thought it was incredibly smart. I thought it was incredibly brilliant and in the way that the screenplay structured it out. I thought John David Washington was incredible in the lead. I, I thought Brana was incredible. Um, yeah, the cast is great. The set pieces are incredible. It's everything that you want a Nolan movie to be. Uh, it, to me, it delivered on, on almost every level. And it's one of those movies where even if you've watched every trailer and paid attention to every single thing that's going on, you're still really just... Kevin keeps saying it. He says, we're not ready. Your your mind is not ready for where this movie takes you. I've been joking about that, but I've been serious. Mm-hmm. I, 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 uh, I remember I spoke to Kenneth Branagh for Artemis Fowl, and the way he described the way Nolan works is that as if Nolan sees the world in time. And, you know, it sounds kind of an exaggeratory thing to say, but I say we're not ready because I do think we are living in a time period where we are witnessing our Hitchcock, our mm. Kubrick. Um, and it's, we're lucky. I, we're very lucky to be living through a filmmaker like this. Um, the, a person who is genuinely going back to the past to change the future of filmmaking, irony, I, ironically. Um, and so you, you, you think about the structure of this film. Um, it's a movie that makes you work. You mm. have to work. And that's the beauty of Nolan. You can't sit there and shove popcorn in your mouth and just kind of lay back. You're, you're, you're in it. He's immersing you. He's grabbing you by the throat and pulling you into these into these images. Everything on screen is tangible. You mm-hmm. can touch everything. You could put your hand on that screen and grab everything. Um, and I think yesterday was a really special day for me and for us. And it was it was a, I, I want to talk about it from that perspective real quickly, because Yesterday was the first day I returned to a, a film theater to see a movie in a theater. Um, I wore a mask the whole time, uh, which was a little strange. Uh, I, it was hard to breathe sometimes, and it gave me a little more respect for people who have to wear masks all day for their job. My brother-in-law sells cars, and he hasn't had a break this entire pandemic, and he's working 94-degree heat with a mask on. Um, it just gave me perspective, right? Uh, but yesterday, I, I, I've just been going through a tough mental time just in general, but yesterday... I, I just kind of felt right again. Um, and I'll tell you why. Like, uh, there's the beauty of what we all do and why we all love what we do. And the reason this whole show started was that you leave a film like that and then you just talk for two hours. 
mm-hmm. about every single intricate detail of the movie. And <laughs> last night we all hopped on a phone call for two hours and unraveled the whole film, literally from start to finish. We all walked through it bit I by literally, bit by beat. So, so I left Greenville, South Carolina and talked to these guys until I pulled into my driveway. And like and we <laughs> did the and, entire drive. And and to tell you the truth, it was the happiest I've been in a long time <laughs> yeah. because it was it reminded me why I love going to the cinema, but also it reminded me of when a movie hits that hard that the conversations you can have with your friends is is such a special thing. Um I'm not going to sit here and tell you I understood every aspect of this film. I don't think it's meant to be understood in the first viewing. I, I, I have, I, it's in a, in a good way. It's frustrating. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Um, because you are, it's, there's so much going on, but that script is airtight. And I, mm-hmm. and as, as we approach certain things towards, you know, with the film, everything you had pr- seen prior, you, it's all there. Everything is there. And your brain is just, trying to piece it together like a puzzle as you're watching it. If you can envision like a brain being like shaken and trying to find its way back to normalcy, that's kind of how the film felt. I felt like I was, my mind was just being blown for two and a half hours. Well, and, and I'll say that there's moments when the mo- when the movie clicks, when yes. I got, I, when I would be like, damn nolan how did you even write this Dude, that it came together the way that it does it, it, it if we, we have to understand writing this script is already insane mm-hmm. but to pull it off visually with music and performances and edits and action is a whole nother level of insane of insanity um this is hands down hands down the largest scale film i have ever ever witnessed in my entire life i have mm. i'll tell you why mm. everything is done in camera there's not a single green screen being used it is all real <laughs> everything mm. you're watching is real the scale of this is absurd to a point where i mean i've seen big films i've you know avengers endgame whatever you want to get into and i don't i think this from a scale perspective is the largest thing i've ever seen i've never mm. seen anything this large um, because again, it's a $205 million practical effects film. Hmm. It's not a $205 million CGI fest. Um, the IMAX shots are glorious, absolutely glorious. Um, and a lot of it is IMAX. Uh, and I saw it in one I didn't see the one four three yet, which is the preferred format he shoots in either way. I still had the transition from 65 to IMAX. Um, but regardless Ludwig's, is it Ludwig? Um, uh, his score you know, Nolan works a lot with Hans Zimmer and mm-hmm. I've, you know, I've loved that relationship over the years. Loved it. You know, the D note he did for Joker, that little dissonant note, I mean, everything he did with Nolan and Dunkirk and everything. Um, this was a fresh score. It felt fresh. It didn't feel like a Zimmer score. It felt like a different type of music. It was very, it moved. I also loved that all the songs in the trailers are actually in the movie. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you go watch a trailer like Inception and there's a song on the Inception trailer called Mind Heists by a guy named Zach. I can't remember his name. That song didn't end up in Inception. And you know, if you watch a trailer so many times that you, you get used to the way the music hits in the trailer and you oh, want that, it. And, and if you that want Pink it, Floyd song is not a new mutant, I'm going to be really disappointed. <laughs> but my, no, my point is, though, is that is that all the emotions you've been feeling while watching these trailers since December of last year 
with the music that you've had it with is going to be there for you. And I think that's mm. the coolest thing I've seen in a long time was that it, I was like, I was like, oh, thank God he's using these beats and this music. Um, and I, I know, we're, uh, Jake, I'm, I don't mean to take keep going on this long. This is just a, you know, a lot, a lot to say about it. But um, and we'll get into spoilers later. But it is it's an astounding cinematic achievement on a level that I don't fully comprehend. I'm not going to sit here and tell you I understood this film because I didn't. Um, we had a two hour long unraveling discussion last night that opened my eyes to things that I could not wait yeah, to go back to. I had to explain to. it to these guys, essentially. I had to right. basically lay the story out for yeah. them. Because Sean thinks... I would argue I had a fairly decent understanding of this <laughs> <Yeah>. movie. <laughs> uh, but Thanks, Mr. I don't understand Inception. <laughs> I don't really. Last thing I will say... Oh, this... If you thought Inception was confusing, this is... This is... I, I think... Jake and I said this. I think it's the wait, most... Wait, leave comp- things for me to say. Uh, I, I, oh, no, I said this, too, but I didn't, like, take this from you. I, I, I said this. We both agreed on this. It's the most complicated film I've ever seen. And I'll let Jake go go on. That, but I think it's a good thing. Um, it's a film that I'm seeing again on Monday, again on Wednesday, and again September 8th. And I have tickets for all of it. And I'm going to keep going and going and going. And I am going to unlock everything. I can't wait to get back in that theater and revisit what I experienced. Um, and this is what I'll end on. Largest action set pieces I've ever seen. Um, there's a coldness to the film that I think works in its benefit. It's called Nolan. It's Nolan. Um, I, I've said this before on the show. Interstellar was the first movie that broke through emotionally for me as an audience member uh, for Nolan. It was the first time I ever cried in a Chris Nolan film. Um, this I did is, too. <laughs> this is... This is very cold, but in the best way possible. Um, I'll push back on that. I don't I, think that that's accurate, but I will. But I, I, will, I know what you're saying. I will just say this and I'll end and we'll go to Jake. It's a phenomenal achievement mm. that as I sit here right now, I don't feel comfortable reviewing it. I'm not giving it stars yet because I don't know how I feel 100 percent. I'm giving you I'm basically walking through my mindset after seeing it less than 24 hours ago. And I, I don't think we need to live in a society where we walk out of a film and immediately tweet a reaction. I, I felt so great yesterday leaving that theater, getting into a car and processing it on my 40 minute drive home. It mm-hmm. was wonderful. I didn't have anything to tweet out. I was just, let me take this in. So I loved it, but I'm going again before I officially give my stars. Jake, Jake you hate you hated it. Yeah. <laughs> D- ditto, I guess. Like, I, 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 <laughs> all right, great. Let's move well, on. Yeah, to the no, I, I, I will say that um, I think I know I, I'm with these guys and that I absolutely loved it. It's uh, actually my favorite movie so far this year, um, but I am prepared for uh, pushback. Yeah, because I think and Sean disagrees and we can get into this. I think that this is Nolan's least accessible film by far. I agree. I, I I think, and I hate using this expression, but you know what I mean when I say this. I think general audiences are going to hate this movie. Mm. Um, I think uh, Inception, a lot of people keep asking me to compare it in terms of difficulty to understand. And here, here's, I do want to do a quick sidebar. I agree with Kevin, and it, it is one of the most difficult movies um, I, I've had to kind of piece together. But, but it's I fun don't to know. Piece it. Sure, yeah. but but my point is, I don't know how much of that is because of how complicated it truly is. Because I, at no point, did I question 
what the characters were doing or their motivations as much as I did sort of the minute details. Mm. So I don't know how much of it comes from the complications of Nolan's script and how much of it comes from the fact that the sound mixing was so bad that I only understood about half of what the characters were saying. So I, I don't know whenever I talk about how complicated it is, I don't know if I mean that as like, a, oh, prepare yourself because it's really layered or just like I couldn't understand what the fuck anybody was saying. This is why earlier in the episode we were doing that because Jake what? was making us laugh before we started the show. It's like, what's that? What's that? What's yeah. that? The, the, sound, what? <laughs> the sound mixing uh, is something that we have had a lot of discussions yes. about offline. Yeah. And it is it's something that's been discussed yeah. in a lot of Nolan's films. Yeah, but and this I, was really I, funny because Jake and I got on the phone last night right after we both saw it, and I called it one of Nolan's most accessible films. And I think it is by far and away his least accessible <laughs> film by it was far. So I mean, funny. I think I think you know people ask me, well, like you know, Inception was fairly complicated, and Inception looks like a coloring book compared to like <laughs> oh, I walked yeah. out of Inception understanding it to was it complicated and did it ask you to really follow it? Yes, but I walked out of the theater the first time I saw it understanding it unquestionably 100%. I had no issue understanding Inception. Mm-hmm. Tenet, I think, and also there are a lot of really big ideas that it's difficult to wrap your head around. I, oh, without, yeah. I, I'm not going to get into the details of them, yeah, 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 but yeah. a lot of time-based ideas that go against what we perceive as time. And it's hard to both follow a complicated plot and try to wrap your brain around these very big ideas. It is a movie that... that whether you believe a movie should be allowed to do this or not demands multiple viewings. Um, but I do think that it challenges us. I do think it, it is an original, astonishing achievement. Um, I, like I said, I don't know if the it's complicated comes from the layered script or just from the lack of, of understanding of the dialogue. And I do, I, I, as much as we love it, I am prepared to go on the air, yeah. tell my morning show audience how much I love this movie, and I am prepared to receive backlash from people going, what, what the hell? Why yeah. did you like why did you okay. send me to that? That was BS. Why like I did not I'm prepared for that. But when see, I, I think home that yesterday. A, go ahead. There's a difference between like um and I I'm trying to think of a good example of throw under the bus, like a Suspiria or an upstream color sure. or something like when you sure. refer general audiences to something like that where they're just like what am I sure. watching but here like, but like I like I I said to my general audiences to see Inception and yeah. and I think the general audience audiences would say like yeah it was complicated but I loved it it was great I don't think we're gonna get that same reaction from Tenet I do I'm not. willing to bet we will I think that I, there's I, I'm willing a, to bet we're I'm willing to bet we won't yeah I'm to me it's Jake. a smart James Bond movie to me it's Look. a it's a really intelligent Bond thriller. I here's the thing. I will never fault a film for me not understanding it the first time I see it. I mean, that. Uh, but but into Jake's point, it is a very, very hard film to follow. Now, hmm. I don't necessarily find that to be a bad thing because I love piecing together his film. So for me, that works. But I when I got home yesterday and Lauren was asking me how it was. I I didn't really know what to say because I I don't I do think that people are going to have a hard time following the film. Now, does that no pun intended, but I I do think that this is a film that's going to require. I mean, I've we've all seen the stories. Didn't the the actors didn't understand the script the first time they read it. Pattinson came out and said that he still doesn't understand it. John David Washington (laughs) says you have to watch it like I mean, I'm, I'm paraphrasing like four or five times to get it. 
And yeah. I get that that could be a turnoff to some people. I totally yeah, understand. There are, there are that. a lot of people that say I shouldn't have to see a movie four or five times. Right. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I do. Well, and, that. And, and I think I, a movie needs to work the first time. Yeah. I see. I yeah. don't. I don't necessarily agree with that. I. I think that if a filmmaker has a tight enough script and he's taking you on a journey and there are things you're missing throughout that maybe he wants you to miss so that you go back and see them on the second viewing. Um. I, I know sometimes people say, oh, it's a cop out to say, oh, you got to see it three times to fully get it. I, and I and Jake, like Jake said, Jake put it brilliantly. I, we're, I'm prepared for that back that backlash. I'm mm-hmm. I already know. Yeah. Based on what I experienced yesterday, that this is going to be a very hard film for audiences to yeah. follow. And, right. and I have watched every yeah. Nolan movie multiple times and I had a really hard time following it, but I loved it. Mm-hmm. So I that's where I'm at right now. So we had a conversation before we started the show, and I'm just going to give you guys a little peek behind the curtain because of what we plan to do coming up. So we know that it's um, going to be a little while before most people get a chance to go see this film. And it, and maybe it's not uh, something that you could rush right out to go see. It might not even be available where you are. Uh, we do have international audiences who listen to us, and they've been asking us to sort of break it down. We're going to do an in-depth spoilery conversation uh, chat about uh, tenant where and and hopefully we all get a chance to even go back and revisit it. Kevin, as you mentioned, said he's going to see it three. More and I'm times going Monday, and I, and when we do so, the show next week, I'll 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 tell you if it if it was because last night our two hour conversation unlocked so much yeah. for me. You know what so I mean? The, uh, is there the a way is, I can go to a screening with closed captioning? That would be helpful. Uh, it's not it's not a joke. That would actually no. I'm not, be, I'm not joking. I, yeah, I, don't really they helpful. don't they actually offer for hearing impaired? Closed yeah, I would, I would they do. love to do that. So we'll have that, and we're not sure if we're going to have it next week or the week after. We're going to wait a little bit, a, a little bit, for people to be able to have a chance to go see this because we would love to talk in depth about it. And some people have asked us specifically to, to really dig to you know drill down into it um, because we are such Nolan fans. But we're going to wait and give people the opportunity to hopefully go see it um, on the big screen in the safest way possible, so that everyone feels comfortable, and then we're able to discuss the film in more oh, detail. Little cool thing I, I was reading the press notes the other day, and this is such a nerdy thing, but um, the truck flip in Dark Knight. Um, the gentleman who was in that truck flipping it, his name is Jim Wilkie, um, stuntman. Uh, he was the actual person that was Ledger, right? And in, in, uh, in wait, because Ledger's in the truck when it flips, right? Yeah. Yes. Right. So, so mm-hmm. he's the guy. He's the stuntman. Yeah, that's an amazing scene. I love when like Ledger just walks down the street, just firing the gun like violently to <laughs> as the side. he's like stumbling around. Oh, yeah. it's yeah. amazing. Um, so. <laughs> The, the reason I want to bring that up is because the same guy who flipped the truck in Dark Knight is the guy that helped pl- cr- uh, crash the plane in Tenet. Oh, really? Um, yeah, so oh, apparently, I, I, apparently he had to go to some driving school. He's the guy that's towing the airplane oh, uh, that's towards cool. the hangar. And then wow. people out there, this is not a spoiler, it's in the trailers. Uh, but the story surrounding that is another reason why I want to highlight Nolan. Like, he, they ran the numbers on that whole thing, and it was cheaper for him to do that in camera with a real 747 and blow it up versus doing it with CGI and or miniatures. And I think the last thing I'll say about this film is I think this is, this might be one of the most pivotal films that we've ever seen made in our lifetimes. And I'll tell you why you're talking about a movie that shows you that you can do every insane thing in action, in camera on the screen. Right. And apparently some of it is cheaper than using CGI effects. Mm -hmm. Any filmmaker who watches Tenet, and goes to make an action film 
and wants to rely on CGI when they could potentially do it in camera is going to have to check themselves now. Because I do. I, OK, I, I, but you I, have to I, remember yeah. that most filmmakers are not getting the blank check that no one is exactly getting. These days. That, that's where I disagree. If you go back and watch Memento, any film he made. But prior, Memento and, and Tenet, my, like he's not doing no. the same thing. Oh, well, hold on a second. There have been plenty of two hundred million dollar films that have been made for the same price Tenet was made with a ton of CGI. It's not it's it, I'm, uh, that's a cop out thing, in my opinion, to say, oh, no one has a 200 million dollar budget. There are 200 million dollar films that are full CGI fests. We've seen sure, them. because there are things that just don't exist. Gabriel, I mean, I want to push back on that slightly, though, Kev, because sure. you're saying like the, the other filmmakers will have to deal with that. He did that. Hmm? Nolan had to get it, though. He had to get it in camera. He had the benefit to? of CGI is not just about the or he wanted to. Well, if he. No, 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 no. He had to, if, in order to get the shot, he had to get it. I mean, he had to pull it off. Right. CGI allows you to do different versions, to try different angles, to try different things. Filmmakers can just get more freedom with CGI. It's not just about it's cheaper or, you know, we can just do it in post. It is that, sure. But I, I push back on that because you can you can just try different things with visual effects versus Nolan had to figure it out, yeah. which is to his testament, to his to his uh, uh, credit. He had to figure it out. They had to storyboard it. They had to plan everything to a T. Then they had to hit record and do it. And you probably didn't have, you know, too many chances. That's great. Yeah. But I don't think we should be smirch people moving does, forward. Does no because storyboard? It's just does not anyone know it's, no, Although it's practical, it's not let me practical. Let me, let me, storyboard. I've never sure seen a Nolan storyboard. I'm oh, honestly, no, does. you know, like everyone's storyboards leak? Have you, have you guys ever seen oh. Nolan's storyboard? I just saw that chalkboard where he just draws. I've seen I want to clarify one thing I said the, the movie has 280 VFX shots it's not like there's not CGI yeah, in yeah, the yeah. film there's CGI in right. the movie uh, the point I'm making is like okay Avengers Endgame you can't do that scene without CGI at the end it's just not possible to have people flying around like that I get that I, I so I want to clarify that I'm not saying that every filmmaker has to make practical action going forward I'm saying that there are too many filmmakers out there right now that say you know what? We'll just fix that in post. I think CGI should be a little button in the paint toolbox that you go to, like Gabe just said, to enhance or make something better. Basically and what I, Spielberg I, did with Jurassic Park. Thank you. Thank you. All right. That's the, I had this exact conversation yesterday with somebody after I watched it, walked out of Tenet, because that's where CGI and practical effects merge. He only right? used the CGI if he had to. So my point being is that that is the way, in my opinion, filmmaking should be done. If you can do it in camera, you should try and scale it out and do it. I have no problem with VFX artists. I think VFX artists are geniuses. I just don't think CGI should be relied upon if you can try to get it in camera. That's all I'm saying. Two of my favorite movies of all time create uh, have an entire CGI character. That's fine. I don't mind. I'm not, I'm not saying I hate CGI. I'm just and saying Brolin's brilliant. Brolin adds a lot to it. Yeah, you know they rely yeah. on Brolin for that. Yeah, yeah. I don't understand. I, the, you see where I'm coming from. I can't say this, but I can say that there are huge set pieces in Tenant that if they used green screen would would hit differently. I'll, that's all I'll say. They'll, yeah. They would hit differently. We're going to move on because I don't want to give too much away. We're going to talk spoilers for that later on. The, the other movies that are opening uh, this week in movies, unfortunately, I don't think we've seen uh, the well, some of them we have the personal history of David Copperfield. Did anybody see that? We've seen it. 
Oh, you guys saw that? How is yeah. it? Uh, I really enjoyed it. I, did you I, really? I, I had never really read the book. I wasn't incredibly familiar. I did a little bit of research um, before the interviews. Uh, was not aware that um, it is basically an autobiography of Charles Dickens. Okay. Um, it's as close to like his personal story as you're ever going to get. It was much funnier than I expected. Like, like, like I found myself laughing out loud multiple times. Um, really an incredible like ensemble cast. It's one of those like I, I know you hate sort of this comparison or this idea, but like the Forrest Gump thing where it's just this long journey of a person and like all the different characters he meets throughout his life. Uh, Dev Patel, I think, is really an un- incredible talent. I'm excited to see what he continues to do ever since Slumdog Millionaire. I've been mm-hmm. like I've been sold on him. Um, really, I, I, I very much enjoyed it. I, I didn't really go into it with any sort of expectations. You know, I feel like uh, a lot of times these Charles Dickens adaptations can be very sort of uptight and uh, have a certain feel to them. And this one just really I don't want to say it's modern because it still takes place within that time period. But it's it's approach at um, humor and and the way in which they tell the story makes it much more accessible, I think, than many Dickens adaptations in the past. So the director has done a number of like his name is Armando Anucci, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and he wrote for Veep uh, mm-hmm. on HBO. He yeah. did a, a movie called In the Loop, um, yeah. and he did The Death of Stalin. Yeah, so, he so he's these, got a great sense of humor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're really dark black, uh, yeah. usually political comedies. Yeah. And so I'm glad to hear that this one translated. To yeah, be really I was a funny. big fan. Uh, then Bill and Ted face the music. Um, so I saw Bill and Ted. Uh, you guys have not had a chance to do, see no. it yet. Oh, to talk to Ed Solomon. Um, I don't want to talk too much about Bill and Ted. I want everybody to be able to experience it. Um, the only thing I'll say is that it has way more heart than the other two installments. And in talking to Ed, as you guys heard in his interview, he candidly admits that the first two movies were written by very adolescent males. And it was interesting to go back and revisit uh, the two movies before going into Face the Music. Bogus Journey in particular, um, the humor doesn't hold up. Like, what might have been funny back then is borderline insensitive now. Um, And this movie strips away all of that. Uh, and, And one of the key decisions that Ed Solomon talked about in the interview was giving them daughters... Uh, in place of when they come back from uh, the the very end of Bogus Journey, they go through time, they train themselves to play guitars. And when they come back to the main concert, they each have babies and they introduce their babies to everybody. And they're like, this is baby Bill and this is baby Ted kind of thing. And I asked him, as you heard, uh, were they always going to be girls? And he said, no, at the time we thought they'd be boys. Um, and he goes, even when we wrote the screenplay, a couple of times over the years, we gave them sons and we tried to make them like first they were super athletic, you know, anti Bill and Ted. We kind of made them Bill and Ted replicas. And it, he goes, they were just never interesting. And so, you know, by opening it up and giving them daughters, it, it, it lent some more sort of compassion and heart to the screenplay. And it just it feels different. It feels more mature, yet still funny. And uh I dug it. I really did dig it. I know that we're in a, in a era where we are blowing the dust off of old franchises and and trying our best to to bring back some nostalgia edge. And especially if two actors are willing to step back into certain characters, um, I will say, and I know we've critiqued this with the trailer, Keanu in particular, the first fifteen minutes of him playing Ted, it's rough. Um, I, I, it just feels like I, he doesn't remember how to do it, <laughs> which is very strange to say since he created the character. Um, but you almost get the sense of like, does he want to do this? Kevin, Kevin nailed it when he kind of said, it's almost like they got an actor on SNL to do a Bill and Ted skit. Um, 
But then there's a moment in the movie where he's he walks like Ted as they're sort of going. And then I was like, oh, now you got it. And then almost from that point on, it's pretty seamless. So um, if you're a fan of the first two, uh, it's it, you're going to love it. Even if you're just a casual fan who wants to sort of check something out because you want to see what these two guys are doing. I think it has, again, more heart. I really like the two actresses who play their daughters. Uh, it's fun to see death back. And um, it has a great message. Um, so I, I I dug it. I totally recommend it. And again, as mentioned on the show, 76 minutes of your time, uh, you know, clocking in as a, a tight 76 minutes. So uh, where did the show notes go? Gabe? Shorter than an episode of Real Blend. <laughs> By a long shot. New Mutants. Uh, New Mutants. <laughs> this is kind of funny. Finally coming to theaters. Uh, what do you think of movie. it, Sean? Well, I'll see it tomorrow. Uh, and I'm actually I'm, I'm still very excited for it. Um, I love the New Mutants comic book. I'm rooting for Josh Boone. I would like this movie to work. It's ridiculous. The, the number of circumstances that have conspired against this movie. First off, it was made back when the X-Men still belonged to Fox. Uh, it was supposed to come out before Dark Phoenix. That's a movie that happened. Uh, then the merger went through Disney and Fox, and it kind of got lost in the shuffle. The Marvel Cinematic Universe would like to at some point use mutants, so it kind of wants to pretend that new mutants doesn't exist. Then the movie got delayed, and then it got delayed again, and then it got delayed one more time. <laughs> then a global pandemic <laughs> hit, and theaters shut down. And everybody kind of wondered, why isn't new mutants going to uh, uh, Disney Plus? Like... Um, Onward. No, Onward went to theaters, but then it came to Disney Plus mm. really quickly. Mulan is going to Disney Plus. Mm. Oh, the one and only Ivan. Felt like New Mutant should have just sort of been put out of its misery and released to streaming. But now it's come to theaters and I will see it tomorrow. And um, so keep an eye on my social media and I'll post a reaction and I'll have a review on Cinema Blend. And if it's worthy, we'll talk about it next week. You guys have anything to add about the New Mutants coming to theaters? I haven't seen that. I can't wait to see it. I'm seeing it Monday. I'm seeing Tenet at one and then i'm seeing that afterwards okay yeah i can't wait to, I'm, I'm excited to see it to be honest with you i think it looks cool i think it looks cool yeah all right well we'll talk about okay it but week. can we talk a little bit like behind the scenes of course they didn't the... screen it for critics right and true. they didn't offer links this is true yes this and is also the true. reasons that normally happens yes is because it's bad well yeah are we yes. concerned about that uh sure of course absolutely um Especially because they did send out screening links for the one and only Ivan. Oh, well, Hamilton, they didn't send out screening links for Hamilton. Right. You had to do the Junker without seeing it. That's fair. Okay. Okay. Maybe that's just, maybe that's just, uh. But I'm not trying to say that New Mutants is yeah. Hamilton by any stretch. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. But I'm curious because Sean mentioned it. Like there's the Marvel of it all that really doesn't want or need the New Mutants to exist. Right. So is there, instead of it being bad, is it maybe a good movie that they're just like, we need to get this out and move on as quick as possible. Is that a possibility? Possible. You know what else happened know. from a Marvel standpoint? I'm trying to keep my hopes up for new movies. Which I too. find fairly interesting. So Disney released their updated slate today. Uh, and Black Widow is still on it for November. Like, I I was having a conversation with Brandon Davis, our friend over at comicbook.com. And he was saying something that I actually believe too. That Black Widow holds on and opens in November. So we'll see. We'll see if that happens. All right. Blend game. Let's get to that. Hashtag Octavia Spencer blend. Um, I'm going to go first, and I was going to say that the movie that I was going to pick was Gifted, which is a really good movie that I think people sleep on. Um, solid Chris Evans film. Wait, so this is not your pick? It's not my pick because I don't think that she, I, don't, I don't consider that an Octavia Spencer movie, essentially. 
Um, I think she has a good supporting part in it, but I think it's largely a Chris Evans movie. So I'm going to go with Hidden Figures. Hidden Figures is a story I didn't know. Um, we got to see it in Toronto when they had it as part of a promotional marketing event. It blew me away the way that those uh, actresses all came together. Janelle, uh, Janelle and uh, Taraji and then um, Octavia Spencer all played off of each other really, really well. Uh, I learned a lot about that time period. I thought it was great the way that they all played off of each other and their relationships were really, really strong. I thought it used Octavia Spencer to the best of her abilities. Um, if I had to pick a film that I thought was my favorite of hers that was going to be into, I'm going to go with Hidden Figures. Jakey. It's a, it's a- Great movie. Um, I picked uh, something that I didn't necessarily um, think I was going to, but I picked Loose. Oh, which I haven't seen, but everybody is, raves about. Uh, if you haven't seen it, just an incredible film and probably her, not just probably, not just her best performance, but her most layered, complicated, difficult to peg character um, in a film Full of complicated, layered, different, difficult to peg characters. Can you tell me what the synopsis of that movie is? What is it even about? So it is about a a uh, high school student, a okay. black high school student who is adopted um, by two white parents, mm-hmm. and uh, he comes from sort of this war torn country. And at one point, he was a young child soldier. Okay, and he, he Octavia Spencer plays um, his teacher, his high school teacher. And they kind of just butt heads about a lot of things. And I don't want to give too, uh, other okay. than it gets That's enough. Yeah. It gets very complicated. Okay. And there are no easy answers and it's not tied up easily, easily into a bow. Um, you're sort of left going like, okay, where do we go from here? Okay. It's, it's like life. It, 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 it doesn't just stop. Um, but it's an incredible, an incredible um, piece that, uh, an, an amazing performance on her part not an easy role to pull off by any stretch of the imagination um, but uh, but yeah so that's my pick and if you haven't seen it an incredible film Kev Octavia Spencer blend hands down uh, hidden figures yeah I mean I I have never in my life uh, been so ashamed of myself for doing something I'll, t- I'll tell this quick story I think I've told it before on the podcast but I I, I, I was not ashamed of myself. I, I felt like I, I, I messed up, but this was the point of the movie and this is, this will all make sense. So I was honored to be able to go to the white house when president Obama was giving the presidential medal, medal of freedom out. I've told this in the store of the show before. I'm assuming I'm sorry if I have, um, and on when Spielberg the, was there. Yeah. On the docket okay. that day was Steven Spielberg, Barbara Streisand, uh, James Taylor, James Taylor. Is that? Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, Catherine Johnson. Mm-hmm. And I'm in a room with President Barack Obama. I mean, you know, we're in the White House. I'm in the I think it was the East Room or I can't remember off the top of my head, but I'll, I've never it's been. Amazing in, I, I mean, I had, it was unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. Like when I got I get this email saying that President Obama is awarding the Presidential Medal of Freedom. They sent me because Steven Spielberg was there and they knew mm-hmm. that I wanted to see Steven Spielberg. And I'll never forget being in that room and. While President Obama, I mean, I'm 50 feet, 50 yards away from everybody. They're right in front of me. I'm in the same room as everybody. Um, But before the event started, I got to walk up and see the Medal of Freedoms. I got to, like, touch them. It was really cool. Um, So he awards the Medal of Freedom. He puts it around each person's neck and, you know, does has a great speech about it. 
And one of the people was one of the persons there was Katherine Johnson. And I remember in the back in my head, I'm like, oh, my God, it's Steven Spielberg. It's Barbara Streisand. And like, you know, I'm geeking out and I hear him talk about Katherine Johnson, but I'm not processing it. You know what I mean? I'm kind of in my own mindset. Again, I was geeking out. I've never been to the White House before, except for when I was a kid for a little tour. I'd never seen Barack Obama, you know, and then that's in that setting. It was pretty amazing. But I just didn't concentrate on every detail that I wanted to. Um, and I'll never forget that I ended up being able to interview Spielberg there and Barbara Streisand. And I left the White House and I was like super excited. I, got, I put the package on the air. I felt really happy with how it went. And I was you know done for my day. And then Hidden Figures comes along, you know, when, however long it was afterwards, which the entire point of that film was the mistake that I made that day which was not paying attention to Katherine Johnson in the sense of she was a hidden figure, right? For you that day. That story (laughs) was not known to me. And I did not understand how brilliant of an individual she was. Um, And I I was, I'm honored to have been in the same room with her now that I look back on it. Um, But I see the film and I, and I I immediately, or see the trailer. I immediately think to myself, hold on a second. Is that, the same Katherine Johnson that I was in the room with. Mm-hmm. And then I go see the film and I'm like, Oh my God, I would have loved to have talked to her. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I would love to have interviewed her. Um, and so I guess the point I'm trying to make is that the movie, <laughs> bless you. The movie itself was the purpose of that film was to tell that story and make people understand who these incredible women were. Mm-hmm. And that film, and I, and, and again, I'm not saying Octavia Spencer plays Katherine Johnson. I'm, I'm just saying, because that was played by Taraji P. Henson. But the reason I'm bringing this film up is because that's the story of the film. So Octavia Spencer, my favorite movie she's ever been in, is this one because of what these women did and the, mm-hmm. and, and the, and the amazing idea of bringing that story to life. Um, and so for me, that's why that's my favorite film of hers is because it stood for something that taught me something I did not know. And it made me understand that I need to have a broader sense of the world versus just the movie aspect of it. Fantastic. Terrific choice. Um, well, our very good friend, Michelle Garrist, who plays along on uh, email, she also went with Hidden Figures. Uh, Dorothy Vaughn is the character who Octavia Spencer plays in that. Janice Fields went with The Shape of Water. Uh, Matt Pasentino went with Loose, Jake's pick. And Indy Christina says, while not the best movie, I pick Ma for my favorite performance. Sue Ann was a terrible, deeply disturbed person who could only be brought to life by Spencer. My first time seeing her play a villain, and she was scary. You know, I never did see that. Oh, it's actually good. I kind of dug it. I I thought that the general (laughs) reaction was that it wasn't good. I don't know, man. And now there seems to be this affinity for it. But I felt like when it came out... People didn't like it. And now people talk about it. It's not even that much time has passed. But like, I feel like in a short amount of time, people went from making fun of it to like, oh, my God, it's fantastic. Well, I wouldn't say fantastic, but it's it's better than you think it is. And she's she's very fun in it. She plays a villain and has a good time with it. Basically, choose choose some scenery. Um, All right. Here we go. Next week, reaching out on Twitter using hashtag Christopher Nolan blend. You will let us know your favorite Christopher Nolan film. We will discuss more Christopher Nolan because that's officially uh, what this podcast has become right now. A Christopher Nolan stand podcast. You can let us know on social media at hashtag Christopher Nolan blend, or you can send us emails at realblend at cinemablend.com. 
Make sure it's your favorite. We're not trying to talk best, um, but we want to know uh, what your favorite is and why you choose it. So you can also use that email to send us a review. This week's review comes from Nick, N-I-C, Nick. And he says, hi, Real Blend podcast team. First, I hope that you and your families are doing well during these very unprecedented times. Second, this podcast is fantastic. It's my favorite podcast. It's a podcast for anyone that loves film. The entire team does a great job of showing their love for cinema. This podcast also is beneficial because as a film student, I love hearing from the directors as well as the other guests that you have had on your show, from Tarantino, Michael Madsen, Todd Phillips, and many others. All the stories that they tell are fantastic. I also love the reviews you guys give, but what sets your reviews apart from the film critics is that you don't trash the films people make. You will say what you don't like or how it could have been better, and this is awesome to hear because I've made a couple of short films and those are hard enough. Thank you for that. I also love hearing more about the films from the editing, music, sound editing, and mixing in the cinematography. It really is the director's podcast. I think you guys would like to listen to this. My friends and I are traveling to another state to see Tenant in 75mm on Monday, August 31st because the theaters are still closed in California. Don't worry. We are going to be safe by practicing social distancing and wearing masks because we want the pandemic to end so that we can have the theater experience back to normal. So I'm going to branch in really quick and say, be as safe as possible, please. You know, it's great that you're going to go see Tenant. Uh, you could tell we were excited for it. We know you're definitely excited for it. Just be as careful as you possibly can if you're going to go see Tenant in theaters. He goes on to say, Sean, congratulations on seeing the Snyder Cut being released. I can't wait to read your book. Sean, you were also in some DC comic books because of your Birds of Prey review. I hope you can get a copy. Okay, I don't know what that means, but that sounds pretty awesome. So if you can email me, um, Sean at cinemablend.com, I would like for you to elaborate yeah. on what that means. My assumption my assumption was like, because he specifically says your review, is it's like it's an ad for Birds of Prey and they put your review on it, which is awesome uh, like maybe if, your name's on a comic yeah, book yeah. that's pretty sick i'll take it that's great so anyway kevin he says kevin a couple of weeks ago you asked what the sight line the actors in hamilton used when they looked at i saw the show a week before it was shut down in san francisco because of covid19 the people behind me showed me that there is a tv that has the conductor on it uh they do that so that the actors can stay on track in case the orchestra goes off the queue so there you go kev that's what the people in hamilton are looking at jake you're the only one who truly understands Christopher Nolan because The Dark Knight is his masterpiece and the greatest comic book movie ever. Unless Tenet is his masterpiece, he says, which is very possible. Gabe, please get more speaking time. I enjoy hearing your thoughts and opinions. I was really digging this till about that point. Well, that's not so bad. Come on. And then he says, thanks, Nick. Also, Dunkirk or Tenet if it changed. Or Larry Crown, if you are listening to the... Uh, to the premium blend. So did you guys catch, uh, did you guys catch listeners being really pissed that they went to watch Larry crown and, and it was bad? Well, it's bad. It's terrible. It's, it's Jake. Come on. You have to admit it's not a good movie. They were like, what are you guys doing? I was like, I blame Jake. I, I never said it was good. No, I don't. And I don't know why I even said it. It makes no sense. Like most of this show, it makes no sense. But listen, <laughs> we will be back next week with a brand new episode. Uh, we're going to be playing, obviously, Christopher Nolan blend. We're going to be potentially giving some more um, spoilery details about the film. Uh, we will talk about New Mutants, which we'll finally get a chance to see. So we'll be back next week. Um, plug the premium subscription. Of course, obviously, we are starting this new premium show. 
Uh, we deliver it every Monday, and there's also a newsletter that goes out every other Friday. And this week I talk about my return to cinemas and tease a couple of other really cool uh, articles that we had on Cinema Blend, and then I make a film streaming recommendation. So you guys can find that if you sign up for the premium subscription. Until then, we are on social media, at Jake's Takes, at Kevin McCarthy TV, and at Sean underscore O'Connell. Please drop us a review. Tune in to next week's episode. And until then, my friends... Dunkirk. Thank you. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.